Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, again, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to John chapter 3, we're going to be looking again at verses 14 through 21. The reality is that light truly provides exposure. Take a, a camera, for example. Photo exposures or photographs directly depend upon light and how much light there is. Essentially, when you expose film to a, a real image, it makes a chemical record of the pattern of light. Now, I'm not a photographer, but I did a little bit of research, and I found that it, it does this, 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 this production of, of, of photographs it's a collection of tiny, light-sensitive grains that are spread out in a chemical suspension on a strip of plastic, which is the film. When exposed to the light, the grains undergo a chemical reaction, thus giving you the image. Now, the science goes on to explain much more detail than I probably even wanted to bargain for yesterday when I was looking this up, and more than we want to spend time looking this morning. But the point is, is that light is necessary when exposing photographs. I mean, that's why, again, our cameras have flashes on them. And even our, even our phones now have cameras. And even our phones have flashes that you can turn on and off. And that's why, in the dark, if you don't have a flash, you have a hard time getting any kind of image to occur. Light provides exposure to much more than photographs, and for our purposes this morning, there is a specific light exposure that Jesus speaks of, and then that, that light exposes, ultimately, that God has a choice, and then that light exposes that we have a choice. There is a reason that this text is so popular. It's probably some of the most simple and straightforward verses in our Scripture. And yet, it has some of the most deep and most profound meaning when it comes to the Christian life. In just a few short verses, John's gospel and the purpose of Jesus Christ and the future of mankind are unveiled. Jesus has been teaching Nicodemus, a devout Jew, about rebirth, which for Jews was a very foreign concept and something that, that we could likewise spend a great deal of time studying. But for today's text, we see that Jesus gets right to the implications of this rebirth and the purpose of His life and His mission. Thus, through these implications, the light is exposed through what Jesus has to teach. Look again, if you will, at verses 14 and 15. In chapter 3 of John's Gospel, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Now Jesus is referring here to the story with Moses and the Israelites in the desert way back in in Numbers chapter 21. And, And at first glance, we might look at that story and think, It's a little bit out there. It's a little bit strange. It's a little bit foreign to some of the more normal uh, Bible stories we grew up learning. I want to stop here for just a moment and talk a little bit about snake oil salesmen. Uh, I'm sure at some point in your life you have met someone who is selling some type of snake oil. We use that phrase as something that really isn't true, that has no value, but someone convinces you that this is the magic formula. I mean, gosh knows, they're all over the TV. You don't, have to, uh, you don't have to stay up late anymore. You used to have to stay up late. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it with Melanie this, this morning about how I'm one of those late night, uh, late night owls. And so uh, I have seen a couple of info commercials in my day and time, and I'm sure you have as well. They profess to give you the best of whatever it, that product is. And it's the, the, the best thing that's ever been created. It's going to solve whatever problem you have. And sometimes it's going to solve all your problems. I can remember meeting, a, 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 I guess you, I wouldn't even call him a snake oil salesman. I would just call it, he was just a normal everyday uh, Joe. He was a church member back in Nashville Baptist Church when I was uh, in Nashville. That's Nashville, North Carolina for, the, for folks that that don't know, there is a Nashville, North Carolina. It's actually the original Nashville. And, uh, and, and I was spent, so spent a couple years there. And while I was there, we had a gentleman in the church. And, and I had developed some knee problems hanging out with the youth a little bit too much, a little bit too involved, I guess. And I had hurt my knee. And he swore to me that if I wrapped my knee up at night, uh, but before I wrapped it up at night, I would spray my knee with WD-40. I ju- I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I am not kidding you, but if I would spray my knee with WD-40 and wrap my knee up with the ace bandage, it would get better. That's what he did. It worked. I mean, you know, for him. It works for everything. WD-40 and duct tape. That's all you need. All... In fact, if I had wrapped my knee in duct tape, maybe I'd have been okay. Maybe it wouldn't have hurt my knee. Uh, But we've all been there. We've all had someone that swore something was going to cure all. It was going to be the the silver bullet, the silver lining. The ultimate claim demands blind faith in something not seen or proven. Well, at first glance, our story in Numbers chapter 21 might seem that way. I want to, if you've got your copy of God's Word, you can flip over there, but you don't have to. I'm going to just sum up the story. It goes like this. The Israelites had been complaining against God. They had been grumbling, just like they always did, about their journey and their lack of apparent food and water. And yet, God still provided the manna and the quail. They did not like the manna that God had given them that day after day, and they had started complaining, this is the same meal, we're tired of this, we want a little variety, I guess is what they wanted. They were complaining about their diet. And so God had had enough, and He sent these fiery serpents among them, and many were bitten, and many died. And Moses then pleaded to God, 
And, and ultimately, he, God decides that He will provide salvation for His disobedient people, but it will require action on their part. He instructed Moses to, to make a, a serpent made of bronze and, and to set it on a pole so that anyone who was bitten by one of the ser- serpents could merely just look upon this uh, golden statue, this bronze statue uh, of a serpent, and they would be healed. And sure enough, all who were bitten and looked upon that serpent were, were in actuality, healed. Again, uh, those people, those, those Israelites would have to make a decision whether to trust something that that in their minds they, they knew was not going to give them any uh, real uh, reason to be healed. Uh, you know, even, even us today, we have a lot of the advantages of a lot of science, science behind biology that explains so much. And so we even get tripped up sometimes when, when we're asked, asked to step out there on faith. Because we're asked to step out there and do something that's, that's unproven or unseen or can't be proven by science and to trust that God is going to provide. And so these Israelites ultimately had to make a choice. All who were bitten, ultimately, that looked upon that serpent were, as the text tells us, healed. And through reflecting on that brief text, Jesus exposes two essential truths from Numbers chapter 21. First, the serpents are symbolic of sin. After all, it is the serpent that lies to Eve in the garden. The serpent is the perfect symbol of sin when we look at Scripture. When God looks at our world, He sees what we often try to ignore. He sees the hurt, the shame, the misery, the meaninglessness of life. He he watches the murder, the violence, the hatred, the bitterness, the anger, the greed. He observes child abuse and famine and death and tears and fears and every kind of misery. And as he watches, he notes that the anguish that we have in our lives often is self-inflicted. It's because of our choices. Often, our choices to turn away from God and to turn to our own answers have ruined the gift of life He has given us. Most of the agony we suffer is directly related to decisions we have made. Make no mistake about it, the sin in our lives... The symbolic serpents are ugly to God. It's not something He wants to surround Himself with. But the great thing for us is that His reaction is not one of anger or hatred or even of ruthless justice. Instead, it is of love. He reaches out to us and takes on Himself the just result of that sin which is death. When the Israelites were asked to look upon the serpent that Moses held up, it represented their own disobedience. It represented their own admission that they had turned too often away from God. 
And that if they were going to acknowledge the sin in their lives, they were going to have to look to Him and acknowledge their own sin. By recognizing it, they, they in turn recognized that God could save them in spite of that sin, which reveals the second great truth from this reflection that Jesus gives from Numbers chapter 21. Jesus becomes that serpent. He becomes the symbolic sin in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus becomes sin for us. In the story of Numbers, no matter how horribly they were bitten, no matter how sick they may have become, no matter how many times they had turned away from God, the opportunity of salvation was there. In the very same way, no matter how degraded we might think we are, no matter how degraded we might think someone else is, no matter how much sin we think there may exist in our lives or the lives of those around us, salvation exists for those who, as Jesus says, believes. The difference from the story of Numbers and the story here is that the story of Numbers, salvation came in the form of extending life here on earth. In other words, there in, in the wilderness when they were bit by the snakes and they received that healing, they simply were healed from the snake bites and got to continue to live in the desert and ultimately live out their lives. The difference here in this text and in in where Jesus is teaching us and how He's teaching us is that salvation comes by way of eternal life. Life here might end at uh, one day, but life eternity, eternal with Him, in relationship with Him, is something that will never end. The idea of eternal life that Jesus speaks of is not simply to add life here on earth, but to express more fully the quality which belongs to the life found in Christ, found in relationship with Him. This life that is promised and revealed exposes, ultimately, God's choice. I told you that the truth that Jesus reveals, that, that He exposes, will ultimately reveal two choices, God's choice and our choice. And so we want to look a little more in detail at God's choice. Look, if you will, at verses 16 through 18. It says... For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son." 
I'm sure in your life, maybe even in this last past week, you have made the phrase a time or two, I would die for a nice cold glass of lemonade. I would die for a big juicy steak. I would die for vacation right now. And the truth is, is when we say those things, we don't literally mean we would die for a steak or die for a glass of lemonade or, or die for vacation, depending on your job description. What we essentially mean is that we really want whatever we are talking about there. But I, I want you to reflect this morning on what you truly would die for. Because our text tells us that... God would give up His life, that Jesus would sacrifice His life for the love He has for us. Maybe you would, would give up your life for your son or your daughter. Maybe you would give up your life for your spouse. Maybe you would give up your life for a parent or a loved one or some dear friend. What always connects us being willing to, to say we're willing to give up our life or sacrifice our life or lay down our life is that connection of love. It is that experience that we have with that other individual that is defined only by that word love. The magnitude of the love that is displayed by having Jesus placed on the cross is matched by the magnitude of the gift of everlasting life. God loved all that there was, and so He gave all that He had so that we could have all that He has. It is distinctively a Christian idea that God's love is wide enough to embrace all peoples. I mean, think about even the Israelites, even uh, those in the Jewish faith. They believe very much in the love of God. The love of God is very profound for them. But again, the love of God exists only for those chosen few. For the, His chosen Israelites, those chosen Jews, those chosen people. But when we look at the Word this morning, there is no exclusion of such people. All are included. The prerequisite is simply faith. It is simply belief. Love is what ultimately motivates God's gift of eternal life. Love is God's nature. It's not a vague, sentimental feeling, but a, a love that has a cost, that has a sacrifice, that, that is sincere and genuine. It is a love that remains. It's a love that we've spoken a lot about these last few weeks. We've looked purposefully these, these last few weeks at the love of God. And today we witness that love in action. We see that, that greater love that John spoke about in chapter 15, verse 13. God's choice is to love. The text goes on to tell us that God's choice to love exposes the dichotomy between those who will perish against those who will possess eternal life. The text is clear that love motivated God to send Jesus to bring salvation, not judgment. 
However, just as Jesus came to bring salvation, the very fact of that salvation implies judgment on those who do not believe. In other words, they're flip sides of the same coin. The life and death of Jesus have their effects on the final judgment, which is the purpose of saving the world. How people will fare in this judgment depends on their relationship to the Son, to what they do with the life and testimony of Jesus Christ, to whether or not they believe. The word believe is mentioned three times in verse 18 alone, leading us to discover that the light of Jesus exposes that we also have a choice. Look again, if you will, at verses 19 and closing out our text this morning. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. The term light is found five times in these three verses, which illuminates our choice to either remain in darkness or cling to such light. We've all experienced having our eyes adjust to light, going from dark to light. Usually it's in the morning. I won't go there. Some of us like light more than others. We'll just say that. But we've all experienced walking into a room when, when, when all is dark and, and we slip, flip on the lights and our eyes start to have a hard time adjusting. And, and, and what the first thing we want to do is, is to dim those lights, maybe even cut them off altogether to ease our eyes so that they can get used to that light. The same is true for our lives here on this earth. The Word tells us the light has come. Once we uh, hear of the testimony of Jesus Christ, once the gospel is revealed to us, we have a choice to either accept the, the truth that we uh, uh, are full of sin and we need to uh, root out that darkness, root out that sin, and turn to life and light or stay right where we are. Well, the Word tells us that faced with the light, there will be many who will prefer the darkness. Immersed in wrongdoing, people may have no wish to be disturbed, no desire to have their eyes adjust to the light. Some people like darkness just a little too much. And if we choose to remain comfortable in our sinfulness, the Word tells us we better get used to condemnation and separation from God. Because our choice to remain in darkness does just that. It shuts out the light, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Make no mistake about it. Everyone has the ability to choose. The plea here in the text is for us to choose light, to choose a relationship with Jesus Christ. It requires a meaningful choice. Condemnation was and is never forced down our throats. What the text is telling us is that something that becomes what we crave. And think about that. We don't really grasp, I think, the idea that when we choose darkness, we choose condemnation and separation. We don't think that far down the line. We only can see as far as our sin, which is blocking out so much of what we can see. Which is why, just like in the, in the example of, of an addict here on this earth, we have to come to a point in which we want salvation for ourselves. No matter how much someone wants it for us, no matter how much even God wants it for us, after all, He tries time after time after time to get our attention, no matter how much even God wants it for us, only we can make that decision. To come into light or, or to choose the light means to have one's darkness shown for what it is. A condition that is not unlike being bitten by a serpent whose poison fills our veins with sin and destruction. But if we choose to accept the antivitam, which is the life lived in the light, life lived in relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be saved from condemnation and given everlasting life. So the question becomes, how will we respond to the exposure of light in our lives? Will we accept the, the antivitam to root out the darkness in our lives? Exposed with the light, what will we choose? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to a time in our, our service in which we truly reflect on how we are living out our lives, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal with the light of the reflection of your word exactly where we stand before you. For Father, it doesn't take long for us to, to look around our, our lives, to look deep within our hearts, and to see that even though maybe a long time ago we made a decision to root out the sin and to accept the light, to accept a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is still residual effects of the sin in our lives, of the darkness that, Lord, we once lived in. Lord, help us to acknowledge that, Lord, we are in a place of need. That, Lord, we are, we are not much different than those Israelites laying in the desert, hurting, feeling the despair of separation from You. Needing to make that decision to just step out on faith and to look up. To look up to the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, to the access that we have 
to the accountability that is around us and a fellowship of, of fellow believers, brothers and sisters that can help us, help us to see the, the areas in our lives in which we need to have more light. Help us to, help us to desire that. Help us to see it. Help us to acknowledge it. Help us to accept, Lord, that great truth. For Father, we know how much you love us. We've seen it displayed on the cross. We've seen it displayed in the plan that you have to extend everlasting life. The plan that you have to root out that darkness, to overshadow that darkness, to outshine that darkness with the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. In a few short weeks, we're going to celebrate that light, that light that gives us the opportunity to experience everlasting light, to have a day in which we anticipate darkness no longer. Lord, help us to prepare for that day. Help us to live according to the principles of that day. Desiring to see your kingdom expanded here on this earth. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.